I want to begin today, and I want to ask a question. You know, I like to ask questions. What is love? What is it? It'd probably be easier to define what it's not. We misuse the word constantly. We love pizza, or we love our house, or we love this, or we love that. We use this word all the time. We misuse it. In fact, we've used it so much improperly that its actual meaning has very little value to us anymore. We've lost the, the significance of what it means. And that's a real shame, but I don't think it's anything we're going to change at the moment. I do it just as much as any of the next person. But when we think about what love is, we have a really hard time with it. Scientists can't measure it. Ask, ask a scientist what love is, and they can't really tell you. Oh, they might give you some technical, something about these synapses that goes off in your brain and all this kind of chemical stuff. But they don't really know what it is or where it comes from. Poets struggle to define it. That's why thousands of years later, we still have singers and songwriters and poets writing and singing about it. Something peculiar with it, too. I know, you know, many, many sermons I say something that's going to make people upset, and, and you know I'm okay with that. Uh, today, I'm going to make you upset again. Everybody ready? Animals don't have love. I know that broke a few hearts. They can like you pretty well, but they can't love you. That's something that's peculiar to us as humans. It's something that is God-given to us and does separate us from the animals. So go ahead and get that out of your mind, and we'll try and move on. So scientists can't define it, animals don't have it, and poets struggle to define it as well. We often think about it as a feeling. There's absolutely feelings that come with love. Probably everybody here knows that. But love isn't based on feelings. In fact, it's kind of the opposite of that. Love will bring with it feelings, but it's not just a feeling. So this idea that you fall into love, well, that sounds wonderful. It carries with it the idea that you could just randomly fall out of love. I don't think that's quite accurate. The Bible has a lot to say about love. A lot to say about it. There's no way possible I could ever cover it. Many Sundays, let alone one service, but... I want to try, and I want to start with the passage that everyone knows, and this is probably familiar to me because just yesterday I got to read it to a couple as we as I officiated a wedding for a friend of mine. Of course, they asked for this chapter, as most people do. But I want to do something a little bit different. I want to go back, and of course, I'm talking about 1 Corinthians 13, for those who weren't familiar. Go ahead and turn there. But then I want you to do me a favor, and, and for me, I have to turn back one page. But I want you to go up one verse into 1 Corinthians 12 verse 31. It's often not discussed when you read this chapter, but probably should be. You see, just before this, the Apostle Paul is giving instruction about the different gifts of the Holy Spirit, the different talents, as we remembered last week that we have, and things that God gives us with. And he lists all these different things and how they work to fulfill and complement the body of Christ. And then he has this verse at the end, which has dramatic importance for the next chapter. 1 Corinthians 12, 31. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. Another loser translation says it this way, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. 
That's the introduction to the love chapter. And then I'll read 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, or in this case love is what that word means, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profits me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth itself not. It is not puffed up. Does not behave itself unseemly. Seeks not its own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopes all things. And endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But that which is perfect is to come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly. But then face to face. Now I know in part. It's beautiful. But then shall I know even as I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity. These three. But the greatest of these is love. It's a beautiful passage. Beautifully written. Covering so many things. And I want to talk about a few things. I already mentioned I feel like. There's a misconception that love is a feeling. As I said, it is certainly you do have feelings of love, but it is more than that. And so often when I officiate weddings, I will remind people that love is a choice. You are making a choice to love someone. And again, I think that's lost in our culture today and certainly something we need to remember There are many things that love does and love endures. It begins that way and it ends that way in this passage. Love endures, and I think that means making a choice. It tells us a number of things that it shouldn't be. Shouldn't be envious. Shouldn't be proud. Shouldn't be arrogant. It shouldn't be rude. It shouldn't keep a tick mark or a counting of wrongs. That's an important thing. It's easy for us to do, isn't it? We get highly offended and we start checking off all the time someone has offended us and Somehow when we get to number whatever, we can magically not love someone, but it doesn't work that way. Love doesn't love injustice. Rather, it is sincere. It is patient. It is thoughtful. It believes all things and hopes all things. So we have instructions for what love is and what love isn't. It tells us how we are to live. Can we love someone perfectly? Nobody shook their head yes or no. Fascinating. Can we love someone perfectly? No. It's beyond our ability. Again, I do believe, and we'll talk about love is a gift from God because love is God and God is love. And so we get that from him. But because of our fallen nature and our fallen state, we're not able to do this perfectly. As much as I want to love someone faithfully, I can't always do it. 
The other thing we have to wonder is love always mean we give someone what they want. Well, any of you have ever been around children, you know the answer to that's no. In fact, I think there's lots of scripture that supports and good logic to support the idea that that we don't give someone everything that they want just because we love them. And in fact, sometimes loving them means we withhold certain things from them. It doesn't always make it fun for us, but it's certainly something we should remember. Hebrews tells us this, Hebrews 12, verse 3. Actually, let me do verse 6, Hebrews 12, verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receiveth. A modern English translation of this would be, if God loves you, he's going to discipline you. And God loves you, so he's going to do what? He's going to discipline you. Sometimes we have to say the hard things to the people that we love the most, and that's okay. And in fact, that should be encouraged. That is, in fact, a way that we know that we are loved. That's what the Scripture tells us. Interesting question to ask yourself is, does God discipline you? If the answer is no, I think there's one of two options. One of two options if God isn't disciplining you. One is you don't belong to Him. It's terrifying. The other answer is you're trying to get away from him and you've dulled your senses to the point that you don't realize that he's warning you and telling you the correct way. I have friends that I love, a family that I love, my brothers and sisters in Christ that I love. Does this mean that They never disappoint me? Of course not. Does it mean they never get me frustrated? Or maybe even a little angry at times? Of course not. Does that mean that if I don't feel like I love them, that I don't? Absolutely not. I love my family. I always will. You can't take that away from me. I won't do it perfectly. Never will. But I'll always love them, even if I disagree with what's going on. No, I have chosen to love them, for better or for worse. Chosen to love you, for better or for worse. Sometimes we love people and it doesn't feel good. Sometimes it hurts us. Sometimes it makes us unhappy. But again, love isn't about an emotion. Love isn't about a feeling. Love is about a choice. Something we choose to do. I want to turn to Colossians for just a minute. Colossians 3, 8 through 14. We are reminded in this chapter of things that we are to do. Things that we are not to do and things that we are to do. Colossians 3, beginning with verse 8, says, But now you are to put off these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communications out of your mouth. Lie not to one another seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Jew nor Greek, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian or Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ in all, but Christ is all and in all. 
Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. See, the scriptures tell us that all these good things that we're supposed to do, we are actively to put on or cover ourselves with this idea of love to who? To one another. And that means that we should be patient and loving and kind. It means that we should not do the things that this scriptures and other scriptures tell us to. And love binds all things together for good. And so we are commanded to love each other Again, not that we never disagree, not that we ever call someone out, but we are commanded to love each other, and that is a choice and a duty and something we have to do regularly. You don't love somebody once and then never again. You didn't really love them the first time, did you? This is very important. So who do you love? Who do you choose to love? Well, there's a couple broad answers to this, and I want to talk about them for a minute, and then we're going to get to the, the heart of the matter. We have a duty to love some people. You ever loved somebody because you had to? Maybe not because you really wanted to. <laughs> then there's others that make it easy. But we have a duty to love people. In fact, 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I have a duty to love my family. I have a duty to love my parents. I have a duty to take care of these people, to provide for them. And I think that means, yes, love them, even if it isn't easy. Some people we have a duty to love. Others we make a vow to love. That's what I was doing yesterday. I had a nice talk with a gentleman afterwards. The uh, father uh, of the bride. And he picked up on some things that I said uh, during the service yesterday. And he said to me, he said, you know, he said, uh, he said, I understood all this a lot better after I got saved a few years ago. I said, that's right. Because when God's love comes into you, you begin to fully understand what it means to stand before God and before people and say, I vow to do this. It's a very serious commitment. In fact, Numbers 30 and verse 2 says, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. These are dangerous things, if you will, when we make vows to each other and should be taken very seriously. And when you make this vow, whether you feel it or not, you've made a vow. It's one thing I'm very thankful that my father taught me very well. It doesn't matter whether you feel like you're in love. If you've made a vow, you have to commit to it. Doesn't matter whether you're happy about this or whatever, you've made a vow, you must fulfill it. We must be very careful when we make vows and not make them flippantly. Because when we make a vow, we are expected to fulfill it. There are other people that we're supposed to love that we're commanded to love. So we have a duty to love some people. I think that's our family and maybe a few others. 
Some we take a vow purposefully to love and they become our family or close to it. Others we're just commanded to love. Well, who would that be? Your neighbor? Uh-oh. We talked about this a few weeks ago on Sunday night, right? There's lots of similar verses to the golden rule, if you will, in other quote-unquote religions, but they're all a negative command. Don't do this, don't do this. Scriptures tells us we should do this. That's a key difference. And it tells us that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. How many of you that's really easy with your neighbors? Nobody raise their hand again. Surely you have at least one neighbor this is easy, right? And maybe some other neighbors where this is hard. Now, here comes the greater thing. Who's your neighbor? Is your neighbor the person that you see at lunch who you don't know? Yeah, I think so. I think that verse means that those who you are around are your neighbors. My neighbors are not the people in New York or L.A. or Atlanta today. My neighbors are you right now. And when I go home, my neighbors are the people who live around me. And if I go out to lunch, my neighbors are the people I see there. And I'm supposed to, not only supposed to, I am commanded to love them. It's a tall order, isn't it? What if I don't feel like it? It doesn't matter. What if I don't want to? It doesn't matter. Does that mean I support them in everything they do? Absolutely not. Don't forget, I said sometimes we have to call people out and we do it in love. It's the right thing to do. Let's talk about the hardest person we're supposed to love. That's God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your, and with your strength. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, and repeated nu- numerous times in the scriptures. I've told you all that was the verse that brought me to my knees and the point that I was able to be saved. Because I realized I didn't really love God. And I've said it repeatedly, and I'll say it again. The reality, again, here is not so much that you're actively doing something against God, but the fact that you're not doing what you should be doing. It's easy to think, well, I've never cursed God. I've never done this. I don't do this. I don't steal from people. I don't hurt people. I do all this. I don't do this. I give tithes, whatever it is. But the reality is to not love God the way that you're supposed to is a sin against who? Against God. Do you love God? As hard as it might be to love our neighbors, do you love God? Now here's the real tricky question. How will we ever accomplish this? How will I ever love those who I vowed to? How will I ever love those who I have a duty to love? How will I love successfully my neighbor? How will I love successfully the God who commands and deserves it? See, with men, these things are not possible. But with God's help, all things are possible. With God, by God, through God, we can come to love Him and to love others. I've heard the testimony of many who, who, when they were saved, began to see people in a different light. Because we begin to see others as God sees us, worthy of love. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is it really about love and we only should read it at weddings? Love between a man and a woman? No, absolutely not. I think if we actually understand it correctly, we see that it's about God's love for us. His unconditional love. Love for us.
I said, one of God's attributes, and you can go back and look at that sermon series for about 10 weeks, maybe 12, scratch the surface of who God is and what He is. God is love. The Scripture tells us that numerous times. That's why I said God departed part of who He is with us, and we get that, and animals don't. We get to love each other, and we get to love Him. We get to know love and to experience love. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. That's 1 John 4 and 6. Now let me transition for just a minute here. And I want you to seriously partake in this. Some of you, this may be more difficult than others. Some of you, it may be challenging by your age, but I want you to try this for a minute. Some of you are really not going to like me. Have you ever loved somebody who didn't love you back? A friend? A family member? A spouse? A neighbor? A coworker? Somebody at school? hurts, doesn't it? Think about some of those feelings. Perhaps this person never loved you or didn't even notice. Perhaps this person betrayed you. Perhaps this person chose not to love you. Perhaps this person said, I love you, and denied it with their actions. It's one of the worst feelings in the world, isn't it? It doesn't have to be a romantic love. It can be a friendship. It can be a family member. It can be a church member. But I really do want you to think about this. Think about someone who said they loved you but denied it. Said they loved you but betrayed it. Never noticed who you were. Of course, you can also ask this the other way around. Have you ever done that to somebody? I know I'm asking for a lot of gear shifting today. I want you to change one more time for me. Many of you today who are here would profess to love the Lord. And I'm thankful for that. But why do you love him? You ever thought about that? Why do you love him? Is it because he gives you good things? What happens when you stop getting good things? One of the tragedies of our modern age is the prosperity gospel that teaches we can love God because he gives us good things. Or if we do love him, he will give us good things. Some of the greatest men and women who have ever lived on this earth who've been closer to God than I ever will be got the short end of the stick every time and led horrible lives by our accounts. But they loved God. Because it's not about a feeling and it's not about what God gives us. You see the connection now? So why do we love God? We love God because He first Loved us. He loved us first. Not because I deserved it. Not because I earned it. Not because I was attractive for some reason. 
because nothing about me is good. I have nothing to give him that he doesn't already have. There is nothing in me, of me, or for me, or about me that is the least bit interesting to God. I don't deserve it, in other words. He just simply loves me in an unconditional way. And I don't deserve it. Have you thought about that? See, there's a lot of false religions out there, many of whom will sometimes wear the name Baptist on them, who may hint or tell you that, well, you have to do this for God to love you. That's false. God loved me first when I didn't deserve it. That's the whole point. That's the beauty of who He is. That's why He is God and I am not. Because in our lives, we gen generally tend to love people who love us back. And it's very, very hard to love someone who doesn't love us, isn't it? It's very hard to love someone after we've been betrayed or ignored or told that they love us but don't act in that way. We have a really hard time with that. And I want to stand here today and tell you I understand that. And it's easy for me to say, well, yeah, just write them off. We're not supposed to because God is our model. Because Jesus Christ is the one who came to do this for us. And we must love him with all of our heart, our soul, our strength, and our mind. I want to read a few verses. I'm going to flip a bit. You can write down the verses. You may not have time to turn there. 1 John 4, 7 through 12. I want to let the scriptures speak as much as possible today. 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifest the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that he might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us, and His love is perfect in us. You see, long before I knew I would need a Savior, God knew. Long before I was ever thought of by anybody, by anybody, by anybody who might bequeath so and so and so on. My great great grandparents had no idea that I would ever come. And we can follow that all the way back to Adam and Eve. But God knew that you would be here. And God made a plan and a way to restore the broken relationship. Because let me tell you, we're always the ones who break it. God never betrays us. It's always us. God's never the one that stops thinking about us. It's always us who stop thinking about him. God is never the one who says, I love you, but doesn't back it up. We're the ones who do that. See, over and over and over again, the worst possible thing that we can have happen in our relationships when someone betrays us or lies to us is what we do to God. But he loved us anyway, knowing everything and made a way out. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. 
I've preached on this before. I wish there was a better word. There really isn't in an English word. He paid the penalty for my failure. It's amazing. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. God loved me first when I didn't deserve it. And I never will. Turn with me to Romans 8. Romans 8, 35 and 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long and we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Do we see how important this connection is? It is, in fact, that he is God, but most certainly he chose to love us. And through all the things we go through in life, our highs and our lows, the good and the bad, we are more than conquerors, not because I am so good, not because you are so good, not even because you love God so much, but because he loved me. I am a conqueror over everything. Love. And we bat that word around like it's nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. God will never Abandon you. Let's turn to Psalms and see what the Old Testament tells us. Psalms 36. Psalms 36, 5 through 7. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgment are great and deep. O Lord, thou uh, preservest man and beast. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. See, we can trust God. We can trust him like we can't trust somebody else. Because everyone else, as we pointed out, will fail us at sometimes. We cannot love perfectly, but God can and God does. And we can trust Him to love us. Well, who does He love? You don't even have to turn for this one. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves everyone. He wants all of us to come to Him and know Him. All of us. Black, white, young, old, no matter where you live, no matter when you live. He's always wanted all of us. That's why he made us. Because he wants us. And he wants us to know him. Go back to Romans for the last one. Romans 5. 7 and 8. For scarcely a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would dare to die. But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Many of you have been in church most of your lives and have heard that verse repeatedly over and over again. Have you really stopped to think about what it means? Have you really stopped to think about just how much you don't deserve his love? 
that he chose to love you? And this is individual. One of the founding tenets, I think, of our faith is that God is a God who is personal and experiential. You personally can know God and be known by Him. And He did it individually for you. Most people wouldn't die for somebody else. Occasionally someone will die for someone really good. That's what it's saying here. But God sent His Son to die for you. And you know what? You aren't good. I'm not good. Nothing inside of me is good. Again, going back to the beginning, all I've done is be disobedient to God my entire life. So why did he love me? Why? Because he is love. Because that's who he is. And he literally was willing to send his son to die, to take my sin, for God to have to separate himself for a time from his only begotten son, for his son to die, to be buried, as we heard in the song, to be rose to life three days later on my behalf so that I could have a restored relationship with God. And what do I do? I don't pay any attention. I'm the one who walks away. Did God have a choice? And be careful. It's kind of like asking questions like, can God make a rock so big he can't move it? Don't get, don't get trapped in that loop. That's not beneficial. Did God have a choice to make us? Seems so. Did God have a choice to save us? It would seem so. He chose to do it. Why? Listen. Young and old look at me. Listen. He chose to do it because this is not something you're going to hear from anybody else in your life. Because you are worth it. Not because of something you did, but because of who you are. Because you are a child of God. You are made in his image. You are fearfully and wonderfully made and you have been set here on this earth and God has made everything in it to proclaim his glory for us to enjoy, for us to praise him. And he was willing if it had only been you to die for you because you are worth it. He chose to love you, individually. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. Go back to what I asked you to think about before. You ever loved somebody who didn't love you? You ever done everything you could to get this person to love you and they just weren't going to have it? Maybe you put forward a lot of time. Maybe a lot of money. Maybe a lot of trying to get this person's attention and they just ignored you. Maybe they said with their mouth they love you, but didn't with their heart. Maybe they said they loved you and did for a little bit and then left. Go back to that feeling. 
And now answer this question. Do you love God? Have you said it with your mouth and never meant it with your heart? Have you said it and been disobedient? Maybe you've never really thought about it this way. God has feelings. It seems to be revealed in the scripture that he does. How do you think it makes him feel? You know how bad it hurts you, right? God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. You, because you are worth it. And yet, some, every day, will get up and choose to not love him back. Imagine getting up every day to tell somebody that you care deeply about, that you love them. And they look at you and walk away. See, this is the mirror we see ourselves dimly in. Someday we'll stand before God face to face. You know what's going to happen that day? God's going to do one of two things. He's going to say, welcome home. I've been waiting for you to be here. I made you, I knew you, I wanted you home with me, I sent my son to die for you, I sent my Holy Spirit to live inside of you, I wanted you to walk through life and be obedient, I wanted to show you the good ways, even though you struggled, I wanted to help you, I wanted to love you, and I wanted to do it every day, all day long, and I'm so glad you're home. Or he's going to look at you and say, all of that, And say, but you never knew me. We're going to have a revival effort here shortly tonight. And sometimes we overfocus on those who are lost and unsaved. Brothers and sisters, we certainly need some to be saved. There are people here who are not loving God the first time. And you need to realize it. And you need to confess your sin against Him. You need to confess the fact that you know that He loves you and that you've just spit in His face and walked away. And others of us need to really consider how much God does love us and realize maybe I've been getting a little further away than I need to. Maybe I need to put a little more effort back into this relationship. Maybe I remember what it's like when someone hurts me and ask yourself this very important question. Do you know God? And if the answer is yes, does God know you? And if the answer is yes, then you need to be closer to God and love him. What's God's love language? Remember from a few weeks ago? Somebody tell me. Obedience. Obedience. Brothers and sisters, I want us to consider and I want us to have a time to be obedient. And if that means you've realized today that you've never actually loved God like he's commanded you to do, then you need to talk to him and get that figured out. And if you realize today that maybe you've started walking a little bit away from the one who loves you, you need to start headed back. 
That may mean you have to put a few things aside. That's okay. That may mean you have to start doing a few things. That's okay too. Whatever it is that God is calling you to do, you need to do it. Brother Steve, I think I told you last night, maybe it was on the phone the other day, I firmly believe that somebody at this church needs to be doing something that they're not. But that's, that's all I know. I have no idea what it is or who it is. Maybe that's what God wants you to do. Whatever it is, I want you to pause and consider that he loves you. That he loves you unconditionally. He loves you so much he was willing to die for you. And he loves you because he wants to have an ongoing daily relationship with you. And you have to come to the point where you're going to answer for that. Both today and tomorrow and the next day. And at some point for all eternity. And you face the truth. Let's have a hymn if you don't care.